Rogers scrambles He's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5. Yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast, where you can find all the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. We tweet a lot about the Bucks, Brewers, and Packers. Joining me, as always, is good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is a host of our Packers Trilogy podcast and is, as always, here to talk Brewers baseball with us today. So, Trevor, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I had a long weekend. Uh, Tyler, as you know, I helped my parents re-roof their house, and as a healthcare worker i am not quite used to that type of physical labor so i'm a little bit sore today but got a nice beer with me to go with my sore muscles and my sunburn but other than that can't really complain (laughs) yeah i was painting all weekend so i'm not sore my shoulders were feeling it the day of just holding that paintbrush up all day on saturday but yeah, you mentioned you got a good beer. You he tried to Trevor tried to recreate a Whitson beer, which is a orange wheat ale beer taste for me. So I'm interested to try it. I'll be sampling it this weekend here. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, ho- hopefully it's close to the Whitson. But that is a really good beer, and this is like my fifth or sixth batch of homebrew. So it probably is not going to compare. <laughs> <laughs> Well, your other stuff has been pretty good. I'm still drinking it. I haven't keeled over yet, so that's always a plus. <laughs> yeah, that That's the main thing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, switching gears to baseball. We're going to spend a little bit time talking about the MLB owners and MLB Players Association negotiations. And then the second half of this podcast is going to be an interview with David Gasper, featuring all things MLB Draft 2020, especially hitting on the first round, but also going into some other things as well. So look forward to that. But I did want to touch on the negotiations a little bit. I had been avoid avoiding talking about them for the most part <laughs> because they never seemed to really go anywhere. But this week, things just really kind of exploded. I mean, we are now approaching the biggest negotiation week since the 94 season when there was no World Series. So the uh, MLB originally wanted to restart the season on July 4th, which should obviously have spring training in mid-June-ish. And they kind of set a soft deadline for June 1st for the Players Association and the owners to reach an agreement. Well, June 1st, as we're recording this, is tomorrow, and I'm assuming nothing's going to be done. So... For an order for the season to happen starting July 4th, an agreement has to be done most likely around June 9th at the latest. So they have basically 
this entire week, maybe into next week. But there's a lot to talk about. There's a 67-page document that primarily talks about money, health and safety, COVID testing, contingency plans, schedules, and rosters. So a couple highlights from the documents in terms of like actual how gameplay would be affected was MLB wants an 82-game season with an expanded postseason, so you'd get seven playoff teams in each league, so you'd have three division winners and then four wild cards, so seven teams on each side. Whichever team has the best record would get a bye, and the other six teams would play the first round. So again, more playoff teams should help get some more revenue in. They're obviously not going to make what they would have if a full season would have been going on. But it's important for the MLB to end the regular season by October 3rd because that's when all the MLB TV contracts are up and then you're going to be factoring in competition with the NFL, maybe even the NBA at that time. So um, in order to get the postseason going and get some TV times, you need to be done by October 3rd. But um, other interesting things proposed is a 50-man roster, so you'd have 30 guys who are active on a given day, and then a 20-man taxi squad, so obviously lots of guys from the minor leagues. But anything out of that initial gameplay highlight there, Trevor, catch your eye at all? Given the current circumstances, I think it's probably the best thing that the MOB could get if they can get, you know, half a season. You get that expanded postseason as a fan, right now, it sounds like the best option for not only life as a fan, but also for these MLB clubs and all the players and everything. They get, you know, half a season in and you get a more expanded playoffs. And every, no matter what sport, the playoffs are always what teams and fans are looking forward to. So the fact that there's going to be more teams in the mix now, I feel like is going to be awesome and fun to watch during the postseason and I think like you said you know that's nearing NFL maybe even NBA time so you've got to have something that is really interesting because just because the competition is going to be crazy for sports coming late in the fall provided that we everything is still on track and we still get them so it's it's I think it's going to be awesome it's going to be a lot of fun and a more I feel like for casual fans or fans that aren't really big fans of baseball but need some sports in their life, I think this could be huge to have a shortened season to kind of get them in rather than having 160 games and they lose interest halfway through. I think this is a way to do it. One thing that I kind of thought of when you mention half a season is how does this impact the actual best teams? Like what if say the Brewers just suck in the first half of the season and in this case would be the full season. What if they just never get it clicking and they don't even stand a chance for the any wild card spot or anything versus like you can get a team that doesn't really deserve to be in the playoffs in this situation because they just played good through half a season and teams do that pretty consistently. Look at the Pirates last year. They were in talks for kind of a wild card or even a central title in July last year and then they just fell off a cliff afterwards so it's it's interesting because I think it's going to make it a lot more competitive and hopefully we get that 82 game season with the expanded playoffs because I just think it's going to be more of an interesting 
season for the MLB. Um, the other thing, the 50-man rosters. So can you explain this to me, Tyler? So it's just a 30-man active roster, and then they can, game to game, they can just kind of switch and put anyone in, or is there going to be restrictions to how many times they can go to that taxi squad? I have not heard that there will be any restrictions for the taxi squad, but there very well could be. There might be a pitcher's limit, like how many could be active would be my guess, but that's about all I know. Yeah, because you can't really like, oh, we just had we just had an 18-inning game, but we have eight pitchers on the taxi squad that we feel comfortable with. We're going to take all the other guys that just pitched, put them on the taxi squad, and bring these eight fresh guys in. That doesn't really seem like a fair thing to do, but then again, if everyone can do it, then I guess it could be fair. Um, then it's just about who has the depth in that case. But it, that'll be interesting to see what that means, like how often they can use those 20 players. But that could be a very good thing for young up-and-coming Brewers players in our minor league system that we might not have seen this year, but maybe now with this and likely no uh, minor league season this could be big for those players to get some time in milwaukee at the major league level and show what they can do yeah and a 20-man taxi squad sounds right up craig council's alley like whatever whatever rules (laughs) are put in you know he's going to find ways to exploit it so but yeah like a shortened schedule that does put increased you know incentive to start the year off hot you know if you start the year off 20 and four you're in a really good spot (laughs) that doesn't happen very often but just throwing numbers out there whereas if you start off the opposite then you really got to claw your way back and yeah 82 games isn't necessarily a sprint it's it's still a little bit of it's not it's like a half marathon so definitely a lot can happen throughout the course of 82 games but it's still not the same and yeah with more teams making the playoffs yeah that could definitely play in the brewers uh, favor no matter how well poor average they would start the season to begin with and you mentioned Craig Council for this and I think that's a good point to bring him up because he was and is the master of September baseball I mean now there was a proposed rule change for this year that they were not going to be able to do that they were going to expand the roster for the entire season and not give teams that kind of September call-up thing um, but Craig Council is very good at that, and if he has something close to that with this 50-man roster going on, that could be an interesting and fun thing to pay attention to for Brewers fans because no matter what you think of Craig Council as a manager, he is very, very good in playing those extra long or extra big rosters. He's very good at dealing with that and getting players in that are going to contribute and help with a big September push and this might be the Brewers 2018 September for 82 games wouldn't that be fucking phenomenal <laughs> that would be great because yeah 28 man rosters is what it was supposed to be in September this year so yeah right up Craig Council's alley and but before we can even play any of these games 82 games or however many they ends up being the players association and the owners have to they have to agree the biggest thing that separates us from having a season to date is money. Back in March, the players said that they would play baseball this season with prorated salaries. So what that means is if there's a 100-game season, you know, the they still get a percentage of their contract. But 
the MLB owners are saying, well, we want you to take an additional cut on top of your already prorated pay this season. So someone's going to have to budge. Either the players are going to have to further reduce their salaries or the owners are going to have to accept some financial losses in order for them to come to an agreement. I think like some of the instances I've seen so far is like Mike Trout under a prorated salary 82 game season this year would make six million dollars where his base is 16 this year because it's the last year before his big contract so like someone who makes 30 million a year might only get like 12 I'm just throwing a number out there but probably somewhere in that ballpark but I don't know do you have a side Trevor who's in the right who's in the wrong here are you a are you with the players on this that they should get paid more? Or are you with the owners that players should accept more salary reductions? What's your thought? I think both sides are fucking ridiculous because first off, the owners, they are multi-million dollar, maybe even multi-billion dollar people, so they can afford to take a little bit of a loss. Um, and I understand it's their money and they don't want to do that. No one wants to lose money. And for the players, same thing. Like, I understand that you don't want to lose money. But also, let's talk about the millions and millions of Americans that make $40,000 a year and have to be, you know, on halftime or are completely furloughed and don't have any pay till July. These people are dealing with a pay cut that is a lot more hurtful to them and might put them into poverty like there's a lot of implications for the middle to lower class here that these multi-million dollar athletes just need to understand that yeah it sucks taking a pay cut but most everyone is doing it most if not all healthcare ceos are taking 20 to 30 percent pay cuts and i get it it's not the exact same because mlb players are going to be taking a little bit more than that but people across the board are taking these cuts so I get you want your money, but you also need to understand that right now, America, just people need some good and some sports in their life with everything that's going on. And not all of that is even related to COVID, but I am not going to get into that. I just think we need sports back and baseball is and probably should be the first one back. And the owners and the players need to figure out a way to come up with an agreement that they meet in the middle or something because it is they need they just need to do this for america i think a lot of people need something else to pay attention to and sports is going to be a big thing for that right now um so i think these multi-million dollar people just need to figure out what the differences are come to a legit compromise and let's get to see some baseball when all these negotiations started, I said, it's going to come down to, do you love the game? Like, that's what it's going to be. But <laughs> uh, I mean, money, sure, yeah, plays a big deal. And there have been some reports saying that owners now this year would, they'd saying they'd rather cancel the season than lose out on money. And that's just not good for the game of baseball. Like you said, you have the opportunity to be the first ones back, at least major sport in America. And all the eyes are going to be on you. Like, People are out putting bets on golf right now and stuff like this or watching NASCAR. And it's like, man, that could be baseball and it should be baseball. So hopefully we do not lose out on this opportunity as a sport. And like you said, give some people some happiness. But on the opposite end of happiness, speaking of owners and things that are going on, there's a lot of 
things going on talking about minor league and their pay and a lot of minor leaguers getting cut over this last week. So some of these cuts that happened across the entire MLB were related to like normal spring training cuts, but some were not. So it was indicated or reported that teams could release around 30 to 40 players last week. And yeah, it happened. Our beloved Brewers released 30 players this last week, 13 of who hadn't played above Dominican Summer League, but still, these are minor league players whose hopes and dreams are most likely now over. And Robert Murray kind of really quoted it well on Twitter. He said, if all teams release 40 players, they could save 50k a month. This is equivalent of trying to save money by cutting out your daily Starbucks trip, but still driving an X5 you can't afford. (laughs) Which, I think that really sums it up well. And I mean, while the Brewers, the minor leaguers, they still have in the organization, they're still paying to the end of June. Other teams are doing it separately. The A's aren't paying anyone. Um... The Twins have decided not to cut anybody at all, no minor leaguers. And then you have other players like David Price. Now a Dodger said he will pay anyone not on the 40-man roster $1,000 for the month of June, which is over 200 players and very generous of him. But all this minor league talk, Trevor, obviously not good. What are your thoughts on the impact of minor leaguers being cut and losing out on some amateur baseball? For me, this is these are the players I feel more for because not only are they getting the cuts now in pay, but like you said, this is you know losing a season in their minor league development could be detrimental to them. They might not be able to get to the MLB or make it as far up as they initially would have with a full season, and there's just a lot of development that young baseball players can get out of a full season, and now you take that away from them. And that's a lot of future per- earning potential that they are losing now because they're not able to play. And then on top of that, they're not getting paid now. So they are both losing money for the future and right now. So that is kind of a scary situation, I feel like, for a lot of minor leaguers. And these are the players that aren't getting paid millions and millions of dollars that are closer to what the average American is in terms of their income so these are the players that we are probably going to feel for more and like i said it's not only because of their current pay cuts but it's the possibility of them losing out on future growing and just the amount that they could have done in the mlb because they might not be able to do that anymore especially for these players that are being cut completely because of all of this it's just it sucks. Um, one thing I did see that is very good, I think, I believe I saw the Brewers are paying all of their employees, like park employees and all that, um, for the season. So that is really good news um, and awesome to hear. Now, hopefully, we actually get to see them at the park and um, working so we can see some baseball on the field. But I do think this losing the play in the in the minor leagues is really going to hurt these players and probably the organizations as well yeah because there's a lot of players that need this development and there's a lot of guys now it's like well what if you'll never know if they would have turned out to be anything good or anybody great um you know granted most of them don't but it's still you want to promote the game of baseball and cutting out amateur baseball is not a way to do it it's now 
all these guys who are like, oh, I don't want to go into professional baseball, like, because you see how they're being treated and the lower ranks are getting cut out. So it does not look good by any means. But that being said, there still is a draft this year. It is a shortened draft, five rounds compared to a normal 40. So Trevor and I brought in David Gasper to talk a little bit more about the draft and go over some potential candidates. So without further ado, we are going to transition into that interview with him. All right, and welcome to the show, David Gasper, co-expert at reviewing The Brew for Fansighted. He also edits a lot of my papers. If you remember from the last time he was on here talking about Omar Narvaez, he said he was the guy who fixes my grammar mistakes. So <laughs> he is back to talk the MLB draft with us here today. And David, just so you know, you're a lot more than just the grammar guy. You are a great baseball mind, and, and that's why we brought you on. So thanks for joining us again today. Yeah, th- thank you very much, man. I uh, appreciate it. And you, know, you don't have that many grammar mistakes, so it's not... It's not too bad going through them. <laughs> now, is that two spelled T-O, T-W-O, or T-O-O? <laughs> uh, I'm just messing. But let's get to the draft. I mean, the base, the MLB draft is right around the corner. June 10th here is approaching pretty quick. And for the first time ever, it seems like there's a lot of drama going around about it. The draft had been shortened to five rounds, and that obviously has a negative impact on the Brewers and the MLB in general. And you wrote about this all the way back in March when the idea, when it was just an idea before it was official. So do you want to elaborate a little bit on what it means, the impact of a shortened draft for the Brewers? Yeah, shortened draft is you know not good for the Brewers or, or really any major league organization. I mean, they're they're all about getting in as much talent as possible to their organization, and you know taking as many swings on as on as many guys as you can to you know get those chances to to have big league talent. And you know not everyone's going to be found in within the first five rounds. Brandon Woodruff was an eleventh round pick. Lorenzo Kane, a seventeenth rounder. Josh Hader in, in the 19th round, uh, Brent Suter, a 31st rounder. I mean, you can find big leaguers, you know, going all the way back into those later rounds. You know, teams are going to miss out on, the, on those guys this year. And, you know, the Brewers really kind of needing an influx of elite talent into their organization. You know, it just takes away that many more opportunities for them. And it, it's really going to hurt amateur baseball. It's really going to hurt the college baseball scene because a lot of those upperclassmen who uh, teams thought were going to get drafted now won't. Um, so they're going to return for their next year because they got, they got another year of eligibility from the NCAA. So they're going to head back. And then those high schoolers who all thought they were going to get picked and signed. Now a lot of them aren't going to get picked. So they're going to end up going to college. So it's just going to be very crowded rosters. A lot of guys that were promised scholarships uh, that aren't going to get them. And, I mean, you only have 11.7 scholarships for a Division I base, college baseball team. And, you know, that gets divvied up. There's pretty much no one in college baseball that gets a full ride uh, to play. It, it's always kind of split up. You're getting a percentage of a scholarship. And now it's just going to be split up even further because you got so many guys coming in. A lot of guys are going to get crowded out. Only, only so many guys can play in, in any given game. Uh, so it's going to be really difficult for college baseball moving forward, you know, lo- losing all, all that money this year and having all these guys coming back. 
and and the shortened draft is not helping them at all. So, you know, it's bad for college baseball. It's bad for big league teams because they want to get as much talent inside their organization as possible. And the sport is going to lose a lot of really good players who could be big leaguers one day because they, they're they simply not going to get drafted this year. And, and then, you know, maybe they go back next year, they don't play as much, and they end up not getting drafted the next year. And it's just, it, it can be so tough. And, and the sport is going to lose some players who would be really good uh, big leaguers one day. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's good that seniors are getting another year of eligibility, but it's going to create, you know, next year, maybe another problem, because I've heard rumors, I don't know if it's official, that the draft next year might only be 20 rounds, and there's talks of cutting out all sorts of minor league teams. So, all in all, it's just really not good for baseball in general. No, no, this whole thing really isn't going to be good for baseball, and if they go 20 rounds, I mean... Next year, the draft is going to be incredibly deep, uh, no matter which way you slice it. And, you know, even front offices were pining for a 40-round draft this year. They didn't want it shortened down to five. So it's going to be a very deep draft class next year. And I think MLB is is trying to push this shorter draft because they don't want to, you know, have their team spend that much money on amateur players. And if they're cutting down on minor league teams, there's not as big of a need to sign uh, as many players. So if you're, I mean, they're planning on cutting a lot of those rookie level teams and, you know, in the latest reports about, you know, cutting down those 40 minor league teams, the, the Brewers rookie level affiliate Rocky mountain, you know, they're allegedly on the chopping block. So without that rookie level team, that, that's 20 some plus players that, you know, are no longer, you no longer have spots for within the organization. So it somewhat makes sense to have a shorter draft when, when you have less minor league teams, but you know it's just really kind of squeezing these these couple of classes, and it's really you know unfair to those players. Yeah, it absolutely is. And after the five rounds, players can sign now for a lot less money, like twenty thousand is the number. Whereas opposed to if you were a six round pick, I believe you posted an article earlier, you got closer to like three hundred thousand dollars. So there's a big pay difference in that regard so when i first heard that you know after the five rounds is kind of be like a free-for-all sign whoever you want i was like oh it's going to be a cluster but now you're making it seem like maybe not because a lot of guys will elect to go into next year and make that deeper draft as you were mentioning does that sound about right yeah i mean there are going to be some that do and they're going to get going to be some that will realize hey if i go back next year i'm not getting much playing time this may be my only chance to sign or if they go back next year, they're going to get offered a bonus of you know five thousand instead of twenty thousand. So it's going to be tougher for them there. So I don't know. I think there is going to be a huge rush to try to sign those undrafted free agents, and with a max of twenty thousand dollars as a signing bonus, uh, it can be really kind of tough for you know teams jostling for position uh, to sign some of these guys. But it it really is going to come down to the relationships that scouts have with those players and kind of understanding where their head is at and you know making them feel comfortable with with signing and and signing with your organization specifically um so that that's really kind of a priority uh, for the scouts is building those relationships with those players and if they're able to if the brewer scouts are able to do that extremely well then they have a chance to really kind of grab some 
some really good players at, at a relatively cheap price. Yeah, it's weird. Like it seemed like scouts kind of had been dying off in this world of analytics, but this year they're even more important <laughs> based off all of that. So yeah. kind of a weird switch right there. So you recently completed the first ever mock draft at reviewing the brew and you did it for all five rounds. But at, at the first selection, you had the Brewers with a 20th pick taking Carmen Majinski. Can you elaborate a little bit about him and what made you decide to take him? Because he's currently the 21st ranked prospect on MLB Pipeline. Yeah, so um, with, with Carmen Mladzinski, you know, he, he's a guy that he, you know, has a fairly high ceiling, got kind of your prototypical start starting pitcher build, um, you know, standing at, was he 6'2", 230. Um, he's got really good size. He's got a good fastball, you know, sitting in the mid nineties can hit upper nineties, um, good movement on his fastball as well. Um, and, and he's got some good, you know, off speed pitches, you know, three, potentially three plus pitches. Oh, and all said and done good control. So looking at him, I, I liked him. And with the way this draft seems to be shaping up is that it looks like there's going to be a run on college right-handers kind of starting around the 19 to 21 range and going into kind of your, your mid to late twenties and into maybe the early thirties there there's, you know, five, six, seven college right-handers that all could really go in that range. And the Brewers um, are probably going to be at the front of that run. They could be the team that starts it. It depends on what the Mets do at 19. Um, but, you know, the Brewers could be looking at a very strong crop of, of college right-handers kind of in that second tier, and they can really kind of get their pick of the litter. Whichever pitcher they have rated highest on their board, it, it could be Mladzinski, it could be Cade Cavalli, uh, it could be Cole Wilcox, uh, it could be Bryce Jarvis even, a couple of different guys um, that, they, that they could really look at, and it's just kind of a matter of who they would view um, as the best one of that group, who's the best bet to succeed, who's got the highest ceiling, now, how, however they go through deciding, they could really end up with their pick of the litter of those uh, college right-handers. So, you know, since I viewed Mladzinski the, the best out of out of that group, I had him going there in the mock draft. Yeah, and he, uh, he sounds like an intriguing prospect for the Brewers. But I think, for me, I am very much a football guy. I mean, I host our Packers podcast, and that's always where my mindset is, and the MLB draft has always been, I talked to Tyler before you got on. I don't always have understanded it. I, I don't get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> why it's 40 rounds, whatever. But in the scheme of the first round, um, I know in your ML or your mock draft article, you read that it's just kind of a crapshoot. It's definitely best player available, but how these organizations view these players is going to be different. So do you see on MLB.com, they have their, top 150 prospects do you see any of the top 10 falling or is the top 10 pretty set and then after that it becomes a little bit more jumbled or how does that kind of overall prospects how does that break down for when the draft actually does come it's gonna be interesting to see which kind of players fall in, in this year's draft there are guys i mean a lot of your high school guys they could end up falling um down the board um, simply because they're high schoolers, they didn't get much of a season in. There's less of a track record for them. College players, you've seen them for a couple more years. They're older. Um, they're generally safer selections, um, especially in such an uncertain year like this. 
you know, safer college guys um, probably could end up moving up the board. And, and we could see some high school guys moving down the board. You know, a guy like Robert Hassell, um, a, a high school outfielder, really strong hit tool. Um, most, most places I've seen have him going in, in the mid-teens, uh, have him going earlier. He might end up falling. I think if Robert Hassell falls, I mean, a center fielder, with a 60-grade hit tool, solid power, good speed, great defense. I mean, he seems like your, your prototypical David Stearns, uh, Todd Johnson draft pick in the first round. I don't know if he's going to be there, but uh, he's someone that I could see possibly falling there, and the Brewers could be taking it if he's, if he's there uh, since he's a high schooler. Um, I've also seen Garrett Mitchell, uh, who... MLB Pipeline has rated as a number six prospect, uh, outfielder out of UCLA. Now it's it's really kind of looking like in most mock drafts, he's kind of falling a bit to kind of mid-late teens, um, possibly in the early 20s. He's a very toolsy guy, but uh, according to the reports, like he hasn't really shown that in games. And there might be a bit more of uh, like some character issues. He, I mean, he hasn't played in the fall, um, hasn't really kind of you know pushed it. I think with that, like some some scouts are concerned over, you know, having the tools, but it not really kind of showing up in game situations that could push him down the board. Other than that, I mean, it, it really would only be like high schoolers that could be in the top ten, uh, top fifteen that would get pushed down the board. Yeah, and another yeah, guy that you mentioned, Robert Hassell, he's an outfielder from high school. Another high school outfielder um, is Pete Crow. Armstrong and Tyler wrote a prospect profile on him. Um, so Tyler, you can chime in if you want as well, but he seems like another guy that could be that center fielder. He ran a 6.51 60 yard sprint. I don't even know what that means because I'm used to 40 yard dashes, but that is in the 98th percentile in his class. So that's seems very, very fast. Is that possibly another option? He's rated 20th on MLB.com. Yeah, I mean, Pete Carl Armstrong is another guy that I like, and, and he could end up being an option. But yeah, that six five some six yard dash is that's basically kind of like your your four two forty yard dash. You Thank know, you. it is. Thank you. <laughs> it, it is up there. Yeah, to, to put it in kind of layman's terms, almost. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's another guy. Strong hit tool, strong defense, very fast. Um, doesn't have much for power, uh, at least right now. But he's left handed, left left handed hitter. So that could help his power play up a little bit if he gets to Miller Park. Um, you know, I think he could also make some sense if he's available there uh, with the 28th overall pick. But, you know, again, it, it really kind of depends on, on those relationships that the scouts have with him. If they feel like that, you know, he wants to go to college and, you know, maybe his signability was an issue before um, that it was a, a five-round draft. You know, he could just end up, you know, getting pushed further down the board and just end up going to Vanderbilt um, where he's committed uh, when all said and done. But, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see where it's at. I like Pete Crow Armstrong. Not sure if they're, if they're going to go with him, but, you know, a toolsy outfielder with a strong hit tool, uh, he does sound like a, a David Stearns guy for sure. Yeah, I had a lot of fun looking up Pete Crow Armstrong. Really good defensive plays. Lots of good highlights there for him. And yeah, like you mentioned, the, the relationships are going to be a big thing. And the fact he's coming out of high school, does he fall even further? Eh, nobody really knows how that's going to go. So we'll see how the draft kind of plays out. 
Switching gears over to the catcher position, there are three catchers between 17 and 24 in MLB's pipeline, and they all got some pretty good and different traits that are good and bad about them. I was just kind of wondering your thoughts on them. So they're Patrick Bailey, Tyler Soderstrom, and then Dylan Dingler. Do you think the Brewers go with a catcher if the best one is available, or do you think at least I think, anyway, they have decent organizational depth, you know, thinking with Narvaez and Pena in the majors, Feliciano, Peyton Henry in the minors, or they stray away from that position. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible, and like we are talking about earlier, the MLB draft is more kind of a best player available approach. So, you know, even if you have strong depth at the position, you know, if you get, if you have a catcher as the highest rated player on your board when it's your turn to pick, you know, odds are you're going to go with that guy. And, you know, th- there's a couple of differences really between all those top three catchers, Bailey, Soderstrom, and Dingler. Bailey is, is really your defense first kind of catcher, strong defender, really strong throwing arm, uh, great receiving skills, game management, that kind of thing. Needs the bat to develop um, if he's going to end up being a starter in, in the major leagues. He's going to, at the very least, be a backup due to his defensive skills. And his future as a starter really depends on the, de- the development of his bat. Soderstrom, uh, the, the high school, the only high school catcher of that group, he is a bat first catcher. It is it is a very strong hit tool, some solid power, um, and it's really just kind of needing the defensive skills to kind of catch up and and really kind of push him up to the big leagues. He has some def- he has some versatility. He can move to to third base or to the corner outfield. Um, so. He, there's a chance that he doesn't stick at catcher, but you know he he's a bat first kind of guy, left-handed hitter, and um, you know like I was talking about in my article talking about Soderstrom, the Brewers over the past couple of years historically have t- have taken a lot of bat first, figure out the defense later type of picks. You know they did that with Keston Hira. They knew the bat was good. There were question marks about his defense. They took him anyways, and that has worked out. Bryce Trang, they knew the bat was good. They knew he had a strong hit tool. Didn't know if he could stick at shortstop, but they took him and decided to, to see where it could go, and he's still sticking out at shortstop. Last year, they took a couple guys, Nick Kale, Thomas Dillard, um, who were originally catchers, but strong hit tools, and you know, there's, there's probably a good chance that they'd have to move around, um, place in different positions. So that's a a, a kind of strategy the Brewers have taken in the past uh, with their position player draft picks. Uh, they really just look for the strongest hit tools and they'll worry about the defense later. Um, if they got a defensive position locked down, great, all the, all the better. But it, not having a long-term defensive home uh, is not going to deter the Brewers from taking someone. So that's where I think Soder, Soderstrom could make some sense if he's available as well. Uh, and then... The third catcher, Dylan Dingler, uh, who has a fantastic name, by the way, like that is <laughs> that is just fun to say. Dylan Dingler, like <laughs> fantastic. Although he is out of Ohio State, so you know that, there's that knock knock against him. Uh, but he's kind of a a mix of both. You know, he he's more your well-rounded catcher. He's got some solid defense. You know, he he's fairly solid offensively. Just just kind of good all around. His, his really kind of defining tools is his arm strength. Um, you know, he's got, he's got a plus cannon, uh, throws it well. So, you know, he's a guy that, that could make some sense there as well. He's apparently been rising high up the draft boards, 
had a fantastic junior season for about four weeks uh, before everything got shut down. Um, so he's another potential option uh, there at 20. Um, so there are a couple good catchers there, but, you know, Soderstrom is the guy for me that kind of more screams, this is a Brewers draft pick right here. I want to transition a little bit to some pitcher prospects in this first round, and there's one that kind of stood out to me, and that's Garrett Crochet. I'm not going to act like I did a lot of research on any of these guys, because <laughs> I haven't, but I have read a lot of your guys' articles on reviewing the brew. Uh, shameless plug right there. But <laughs> no shame I, do, at all. <laughs> I do want to get your take on him, because based on what I see, this is the guy that... If he's available, this is the guy I want. You know, a left-handed pitcher who's got that power, and it really really seems like that could be a very nice addition to the Brewers' rotation, you know, in three or four years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I love Garrett Crochet as well. The only reason I didn't have him going to the Brewers in my mock draft was because I figured he would already be off the board um, by then. I, I think he's, he, might, he might go a few picks earlier. I've seen that in a lot of other mock drafts. But, I mean, yeah, there's a lot to like with Garrett Crochet. Left-handed pitcher, six foot six, 220 pounds. You know, as a former tall lefty myself, I love guys like that. Um, and and the, Brewers, the Brewers last year, they, they placed a high emphasis on getting left-handed pitchers. Seven of their first 17 draft picks last year were left-handed pitchers. So they really kind of restocked the, the farm system with that, which is great because I've been screaming for like three years that they need to restock this system on left-handed <laughs> pitching. Like it, it's been egregious for, for like three years. I, I've been saying it and, you know, it's really probably been happening for the last like 15 to 20. They've just been overlooking lefties. But yeah, so crochet is a guy, I mean, the Bruce drafted him back in 2017 out of high school um, in, in the 34th round. Um, but, you know, he had a strong commitment to Tennessee and I mean, he's guys got great tools um, and, and he's, you know, he looked like he was turning the corner, uh, but he hasn't really had the track record um, that uh, some other guys would have. I mean, he kind of struggled a little bit more. Um, d- wasn't really pitching that great um, his, his first couple years at school. But, you know, it was in the fall where he really kind of started to push himself up to uh, first-round consideration, um, kind of sitting more in the in the upper 90s instead of the low 90s. So, you know, his velocity ticked up. His stuff started to tick up. Scouts didn't really get much of a chance to see him this spring. I think he only started one game. It's really kind of tough to get a read on Crochet. The The stuff is there. The, the tools are there. But the track record is not. For a team wanting to invest an early first-round pick in a guy like that, normally you'd like to see a, a little bit longer track record with that kind of stuff. So it, it could push him down the board. He could be there. But, you know, if the Brewers believe in him and they think that, you know, his turnaround was real, and legit, and they can keep it going, I think he'd be a fantastic pick if he's there. Yeah, and that belief will come pretty much from the scouting department, and maybe with having drafted him previously in the 34th round back in 2017, maybe there's some familiarity there um, with Crochet anyway, and kind of knowing what he's all about um, with the Brewers and the scouts. But, yeah, this has been an awesome first-round discussion, and if we want to transition, because there are four other rounds left in this draft, very <laughs> short, is there anyone else outside of the first round when researching them or knowing about them that kind of stuck out to you? Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. So um, if you read through my mock draft and you got to the fourth round, 
I was gushing over Tyler McDonough, uh, center fielder, second baseman out of North Carolina State. I mean, I'm looking at, uh, you know, the tools of scouting reports of this kid, and I just, I think he'd be the perfect Milwaukee Brewer. I mean, he's a switch hitter. He, he's fast. He's got a very strong hit tool. He can play multiple positions up the middle. Very good runner, very strong defender. Uh, he's gone 78 straight games without making an error. So he has not made an error in his college career. Switch hitter, great contact, you know, doesn't really strike out much, can, can steal bases. He just makes such a perfect fit with the Brewers. And MLB Pipeline also said, once Scott described him as a grinder in the mold of Adam Eaton. Being called a grinder is a very good compliment uh, in, in the baseball world. And the Brewers can certainly do worse than finding a guy like Adam Eaton in the fourth round. So switch hitter, really good contact ability, can play multiple positions up the middle, great defender, great speed. I love the guy. <laughs> like, um, I, I really would, I would be so ecstatic if the Brewers were able to, to grab McDonough in this draft. That sounds really good. I do want to get your, before we let you go, I do want to get your thoughts on the first round pick from last year, and that's Ethan Small. Tyler and I actually went and saw his debut with the Timber Rattlers, and to me, he looked really good. We were constantly watching um, his speed of his pitches and trying to, as best we can from behind the third base dugout, kind of see his movement and stuff. But what are your thoughts on him? And the other thing that I do want to mention, um, you mentioned Thomas Dillard earlier, and he was one of those guys that stood out to me and Tyler while we were there to watch Ethan Small as a guy that could kind of come up the ranks a little bit. I, I believe he was playing first base the day that we saw him there. Thomas Dillard, I mean, he, he was a catcher in college, and, and the Brewers kind of knew he wasn't going to stick there, and they were going to try him at some other positions. Um, so he's I mean, he's playing like first. He's playing some outfield, I think. Maybe also some third base. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. He's really kind of going um, all over the corners. But yeah, Ethan Small, uh, that's a guy I really like as well. Big, tall, left-handed pitcher. Um, got some really good pitches with, with the fastball-curveball changeup mix. And then he added a slider this off season when he came into spring training. So when he gave that news, I was, I was even more excited to see that he added that, um, which would give him a four pitch mix plus his, his plus command. Uh, so Ethan Small's a guy I'm really excited about. And, and the Brewers think that, you know, he can make it up to the big leagues rather quickly, you know, an advanced college arm, you know, a four year college player. If they had a minor league season this year, I mean, he would be, you know, working his way up to, to double A probably and maybe even triple A by the end of the year. Um, and he could, you know, probably push his way to making the roster at some point in 2021. Now, without a minor league season this year, although it hasn't been confirmed, but it's it's pretty well assumed that there's not going to be minor league baseball unless there's a huge shift on, on allowing fans at games this summer. But, you know, if he doesn't get a season, I don't know if he would get a taxi squad spot for the Brewers. Um, or, or what they would do with him, um, that, that might push his, his ETA back a little bit. Um, but he's a guy that, that could be joining the Brewers rotation in a year or two, really. So, you know, there, there's a lot to be excited about w with Ethan Small. And, you know, he may not ever reach frontline ace, you know, Brandon Woodruff level type stuff. But, I mean, he'll be a solid, you know, mid-rotation starter for, for several years. He's got a very high floor. 
And and there's a lot to be excited about with him. Yeah, there is a lot to be excited with Ethan Small. And when we were watching him pitch, like just his knowledge, he was altering the his delivery time, holding that yeah. that leg up in the air a little bit longer. And so he's obviously a smart guy, knows how to keep hitters off balance. So the fact he wants to add another pitch, just I think it tells you he's he's looking to be great. And yeah, like you said, maybe not ace great, but. Heck, if you can post some, you know, mid three ERA seasons, that's that's perfect right there. That's perfect as a brewer. So single A was definitely no match for him. Sucks there's no minor league season this year, unfortunately. But we'll we'll kind of see how the Brewers monitor him. He was a, a non roster invitee this year to spring training, so did get to to hang out with the big boys for a little bit and get a taste. Hopefully, it won't be too much longer, but. This has been great, David. I appreciate your time and joining us here today. Can you just give us uh, one quick way to find you and where all the work that you do is posted? All, all my writing work done at uh, reviewingthebrew.com. You can see it all up there. Got a lot of stuff up lately. You know, just kind of doing some more draft prospect stuff and preparing for that. And, you know, even wrote an article on, you know, hypothetical expansion draft, you know, who the Brewers would protect. So I've seen a lot of people doing that over the last couple of days. So that was that was kind of fun. You can find me on, on Twitter at DGasper24. Um, I retweet a lot of stuff on there um, and, and, you know, try and give some takes. You know, sometimes they're, they're good, sometimes they're not so good. But, you know, <laughs> same, same thing happens to everyone. So, yeah, uh, at DGasper24 is where... I am on Twitter, and uh, yeah, you know, just kind of keep checking, reviewing the brew as as we get you know ready for the draft and ready for hopefully a a 2020 major league season. Awesome! Thank you very much for joining again. Yeah, thanks for having me.